So yes, uh, faith that we heard from Jade a little bit ago, faith gives us peace with God. And prayer gives us the peace of God. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians chapter 4, if you'll take your Bibles and go there, to a very familiar and oft-quoted passage of Scripture, and rightly so, where we read, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I am curious to know from those of you who are here or are watching or listening online, how many of you are taking, you don't need to raise your hand, you're taking supplements, uh, you're taking some dietary uh, supplement or medication for your anxiety. You know, I've done a cursory study of this, and there are over 30 medications for anxiety. I counted over 25 supplements, herbal, dietary, and the like. Spoiler alert, none of those are in here or in this sermon. And I'm not being condemning by asking the question. I'm just curious. Anxiety is common. Would you agree? Some of you are going through it right now, just thinking about a message on anxiety. One study lumped it down into ages. Ages 6 to 13, anxiety is common. Ages 13 to 60, it's very common. Ages 60 and above, it's common again. So unless you're under six, you're struggling with some form of anxiety, according to the experts. But really, you're the expert. I mean, the results are evident, aren't they? Sleeplessness, headaches, neck pain, back pain, ulcers, digestive issues, and heart attacks. I mean, some of you are literally worrying yourselves to death right now. There's a very fascinating proverb, and I just want to call it to your attention. Here's what Solomon said. He said, he said, anxiety in the heart of man, watch this, weighs him down. Have you ever read that? It weighs him down. Our own Abe Miller, the administrative pastor here, has been leading wilderness trips for about 20 years. And he was telling me that whenever, in fact, he's going to lead one, and a number of you will be going on that wilderness trip this summer. And he says, every time we tell them, and I tell them, quote, pack only what you need. I give them a list. But invariably, many of them or some of them don't believe it, and they put a lot more food in, they pack a lot more clothes, 
and then their shoulders start to ache, their feet are killing them. He tells me, he says, he's literally watched individuals give away food and burn their clothes. You know, God has given to you and me who know him everything we need for life and godliness. Do you believe that? And the problem is that some of us don't, and so we overpack. We, too, we put too much in our life rucksack, so to speak. And the result is just a lot more anxiety. But we might as well let Jesus weigh in on this. Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 6. Here's what he said. He said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now watch what he tells us. Pay attention to this because we're going to come back to it. Look at the birds. He invites us to do a nature hike. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than them? Are you or aren't you? Of course you are. Now the word anxiety here in the text literally means to be pulled apart. But I didn't have to tell you that. You didn't need a Greek word studied to know that. You experienced that. Jesus gave us an example with the two sisters. Remember the story when, when, the, when the Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was running around the house complaining about her sister, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, always be warned when Jesus repeats your name. You've been anxious, same word as in the text, about and troubled about many things. It's amazing because all this, what Paul wrote, what Jesus said, what Solomon wrote about in the the Proverbs, were all written in a day where the only worry would have been local, okay? Uh, These were not individuals watching the Apostle Paul on video, you know, or doing a podcast, listening to a podcast from his jail. They had no idea what the Roman armies were out doing. I mean, they didn't know anything about, about the intrigues of the Roman Senate or plagues, that were decimating other countries. They wouldn't even know until it was on their back step. And yet, they had anxiety. And then, you know, you, you know fast forward us, and we, you, you go through the era of, you know, Gutenberg gave us the, the printing press, and then Bell gave us the telephone, Marconi gave us the radio, and then you've got TV, and then satellite, until eventually what one group calls the greatest or the biggest communication shift in 500 years since the Reformation, the Internet. Now we know everything about anything. And all we did was pile up the what? The anxiety. Now Paul tells Christians in this text to stop worrying, literally stop it. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't tell us just stop it. He gives us a means by which we can overcome this weight that so many of us are suffering even at this moment. Worrying apart from God, that's what we do. And I I literally meant that, apart from God. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Repeatedly Solomon says there's nothing new, what? 
under the sun. Every time you see under the sun, right above that, apart from God, because that's exactly what he's talking about. Just remove God from the equation and everything becomes empty. And with it, you get the pressure of life, the added pressure. There's pressure anyway, but you're inviting more, the weight of anxiety. And yet Christians, and if you've been around for any period of time, you know this, Christians suffer the same ills as everybody else. Have you noticed that? We get sick too. We get cancer. We die. We get into accidents. We have financial problems. We have relational problems. We go through divorces. We have all kinds of issues as, as the lost do. Why does God allow, why doesn't God just save us and to deliver us in this world from all of those maladies? And I think the answer is because God wants the world to see what he has internally equipped all of us who know him and how to deal with the pressures of life that are common to everyone. And the biggest one is right here prayer. That's what we do. Fascinating little tidbit here. Every single word for prayer in the New Testament, every single one is found here in those two verses. Every one of them. It's all there embedded in those two verses six and seven. Prayer that makes it to God, as we know, has to be truthful. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, the psalmist said, to all who call upon him in truth, right? Prayer has to come through Jesus, the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Prayer that gets to God has to be confessional. Because if I regard iniquity, sin in my heart, the Lord will not what? He won't hear me. So prayer must be also in submission to God. Jesus said, your will be done, right? And it has to have pure motivations. James has told us you don't get because you don't ask with the proper motives. And of course, it has to be by faith because if it's not in faith, we can't expect to get anything. So that said, Paul here gives us five aspects of prayer that if you apply them, I guarantee it. No, no, no. God guarantees it. You will have peace from and in amidst your pressure, your worry, your anxiety. So let's call it prayer that brings peace, okay? So prayer that brings, brings peace, first of all, notice, draws near to God. This is really interesting. The very end of verse five, do you see that? The Lord is near, do you see that? Now, the ESV translators have taken a very interesting liberty here. They have connected the last part of that fifth verse to the sixth verse that many of us are familiar with. And it's an interesting liberty. I, I say that because no other English translation has done this. They've all separated it. Most of you memorized it. You didn't memorize the last line of, of, of verse five, did you? But you also should know that the, the New Testament, the original New Testament, and even the early manuscripts had no punctuation. There's no periods, no commas, no colons, no semicolons, not even question marks. They're all implied in the text. So the translators have done something very interesting here, and I think they're onto something. Myself, I really do. I think they're onto something here. Because the greatest cure for anxiety is nearness to God. 
And I think the Bible uh, proves that. James even says in chapter 4, draw near to God and he will what? He'll draw near to you. The psalmist did something fascinating. This, in, in Psalm 73, he's, he's beside himself. He, he, he's watching all of the uh, of, of, of wicked people, and they're getting along fine. They're wealthy. They have no problem. There's not even pain when they die, and he's, he's about ready to throw his faith in. He's about ready to cash it in, check it aside. And then he says, then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then I understood the end of those who don't know God. Very powerful. And here's how he sums up the psalm. He says, but as for me, it's good to be what? Near God. Remember what Jesus said? Come to me, all of you who labor, now watch this, and are heavy laden. You feel the weight. And I will give you rest for your souls because that's where you need rest. And by the way, that is what anxiety in essence is. It's restlessness, is it not? That's why you don't sleep at night. And Jesus is inviting us to come. The great missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, uh, John Patton, wrote an autobiography every Christian should read. And he tells about ministering to these cannibals, which he would eventually win. They said there were no Christians when he got there. There were no cannibals and no, no, no uh, pagans when he left. But in the midst of it, he was running from them. He tells how he could hear the muskets in the, uh, coming. The, the, they were coming after them to kill him. And he, he shimmies up a chestnut tree. And this is what he said in his autobiography. I re, I'll, write it, or I'll read it to you. Yet I sat there amongst the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. That's what it means to draw near. Alone, he's, he writes, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Are you anxious? Are you anxious? Draw near to God. Prayer that brings peace draws near to God, and it talks much to God. Notice what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about what? Everything, in everything. Uh, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, using a Greek word which means to have a hacking cough. You know if you have a hacking cough, you just can't stop coughing. And he's saying that should be your prayer life. You talk much to God. I remember Chris Schrock, one of our deacons, telling us years ago when he was in Bible college, one of his professors uh, uh, went to the back room to his office to find a pencil, and he was rummaging all around, and, and he could hear him faintly say, thank you, Lord, and he came out with a pencil. And I thought, that's pretty cool, until I married Marilyn, and she says that like all the time. She'll be in the other room, not know I'm there, and she'll be rummaging, looking for something, and I'll just hear her say, thank you, Lord. I mean, it's almost like he's right there, because he is. He is. 
The word prayer here means to fall down. Did you know that? That's one of these words here of the many. It means to fall down. So the idea here is that prayer involves the whole being interacting with God. As I shared with our our worship leader, Paul, and the entire praise band many months ago, your body language, your countenances, your face, your expression, the way you move ought to reflect what we're singing. The anthem ought to be in your body or the solemnness, the heaviness, the pace. It it all ought to be reflected. The body ought to reflect the song and so should our prayers. If the word prayer means to fall down, and it does, then that's referring to being in awe of God, be in awe of him. He's not your buddy. He's your Lord. And worship him and talk to him much as such. In awe, talk much to God. Prayer that brings peace will bring peace to you if you talk much to him. Prayer that brings peace doesn't just talk much to God, it cries out to God. The word supplication means exactly that. It means to cry out. It, means to, it literally means to beg. In fact, it has a heartfelt element to it. It has a feeling orientation to it. I spoke to uh, several collegians, about 150 of them, just a week or so ago, and the text that they gave me was 1 Timothy chapter 2, where it says that men in the church ought to, um, ought to lift up holy hands without wrath and disputing or doubting or arguing. And we talked about the different positions of prayer that should reflect our emotion, that should reflect where we're coming from when we talk to God. When we're standing, that represents reverence. Remember when Ezra opened up the book In Nehemiah, the people stood up. That's a sign of reverence. When we bow our heads, that's a sign of submission in Scripture. When you kneel, that's a sign of humility. When you beat your chest or tear your garment, I haven't seen anybody doing that lately, but it's a sign of contrition, repentance. And when you lift up your hands, which some of you are given to and some of you are not, I wish more of you were because I know some of you even told me, I want to, I just can't bring myself to. If you want to, lift up your hands. Why? Because lifting up your hands shows childlike dependence. So when your little one comes to you, when your little, when your little two-year-old kind of walks up to you and, uh, and you say, and you go like this, does he look at you and say, Oh, I, I just can't put my hands up. It's just too embarrassing. <laughs> no, he does this, right? He does this. She does this. Why? Because she's a child, and she's dependent on you, and she wants you to pick her up. That's what you're doing. And prayer that cries out to God does that. It has a begging element to it. And the begging element has an enduring element to it. I'll never forget, like yesterday, when in the middle of the night, my five-year-old started crying. And he wasn't just crying. He was saying, Dad, Dad. I jumped out of bed. That's what dads do, right? Flew into the other room. There he was, asleep. 
and crying. I mean, literally crying and calling out, Dad, Dad. And I just, I just, I kind of hovered over my, I wanted to get in there and snuggle with him and maybe just kind of wake him up and say everything was okay, but he was sleeping. He kept crying. Oh my, it just was tearing me up. And then just as I was about ready to wake him up, he stopped. He stopped. And the thought occurred to me, you know, if he'd have gone on for one more minute, I would have, I would have woke him up. I'd have gone to him. And then it hit me. Maybe that's what my father does in heaven. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the unrighteous judge about that woman who kept coming to him, he couldn't stand her, he finally gave her her need? And he concluded the parable with these words, don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? I'm begging my father right now to turn the heart of one of my sons back to him. The very one who cried out to his daddy when he was five years old. Will he do it? I don't know. But it's not going to keep me from begging, I can tell you that. Cries out to God. And by the way, don't miss it. Let your request There's another word. That's your request. There's another word for prayer. And it's your request. Don't get caught up in the, I'll just pray thy will be done. Of course, that's the way your, that's where your heart ought to be. But you put your request before the Lord, right? So cry out to God and leave it there. Cry out to God. Prayer that brings peace, draws near to God, talks much to God, cries out to God, and gives thanks to God. This is, this is just sort of stuck in almost everything Paul ever writes about. Have you ever noticed that? In everything, by prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. With thanksgiving. I mean, this is Paul incessantly telling us to be thankful. As you receive Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in the faith and established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. And here it is again. We tell our children to say thank you for the gifts that are given to them. How much more those of us who have been the perpetual recipients of the grace of God to be constantly wetting and greasing our prayers with gratitude for his salvation, for his promises, And for those of you who are dealing with the perpetual burden, with the knowledge that that too will pass one day, amen? With gratitude. So thank God. That's a prayer that brings peace does. And finally, prayer that brings peace enjoys the peace of God. You don't have to die to be at peace with God. You don't have to die to be at rest with God. Look at the rest of this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Peace guards. John Bunyan wrote, 
The Pilgrim's Progress, his most famous work, and rightly so. But he also wrote another book called The Holy War. And it's another allegory of, of heaven and earth. Emmanuel, Jesus, has left the earth after being rejected. Diabolos, the devil, has taken over the earth. It's called man's soul. And there's a governor of the city of man's soul. You know what his name is? His name is Mr. Godpeace. Reflecting the, this phrase, it's not just peace that God gives you, it's his peace. It's the peace of God. In other words, listen to this. In other words, it's the kind of peace that is in God himself. As one writer put it, it is the serenity in which God lives. Just as our joy, as we learned last week, is found in God, so is our peace. Remember what Jesus said? He said, my peace I leave you, my peace I, what? I give you. And then he said this, not as the world gives, which is intriguing. Because the world does give peace. And some of you are living on it right now. In fact, several of you, many of you are living on it right now. It's a false peace, but it is a peace. And it'll do for now in your life. You make a sale, peace. You get the job, peace. You get the job promotion, peace. Your kid survives an accident, peace. Your sweetheart makes it through surgery. <sighs> Peace. You build a nest egg for the future retirement. Whew. What? Peace. But the sales will end. The promotions will cease. The monies will fly away. And your children will get in accidents. And some of them will die. And so will you when you run out of health. Where will your peace be then? Where will it be? Just the other day, my son, during the other snowstorm, was coming off an on-ramp onto the road, onto the highway, lost control of his vehicle, slid across the medium, or the, the lane, and hit a semi. A semi hit him. Bounced him into the nearby ditch, demolishing his car. All the airbags went off. Few cuts. And when I heard this, I was glass. I was totally at peace. The peace of God taken over. I jumped in the car and I went to him, brought him home. God controlled the whole situation and controlled me, amen? <laughs> I was feeling pretty good about that. That night, our satellite went out. Our satellite service went out. Our TV didn't work. So I called them up, and they go, well, Mr. Nemerson, you, you, uh, our, our notes say you've left the country. I haven't left the country. I'm right here. <laughs> well, our, our, our notes say that you have, uh, um, you've canceled. I haven't canceled anything. All my bills are paid. 
It went on and on. She put me on hold and never came back. In the middle of this, I thought, my kid has a near-death experience and I'm totally God chill and I lose my satellite service and I act like an idiot? Are you kidding me? I needed Mr. Godpiece governing my life, not just at a critical time, but at a silly time. When we dropped the guard, when I dropped the guard. Remember all the physical ills that stress brings? The answer to that stress is not no work or more work or oils or foods or supplements or medicines. The answer to it all is the incomprehensible peace of God. And what do you know? What do you know? A heart at peace gives life to the body. Have you ever read that? You know what that means? Do you know what that says? That says rest. That's what that says. Give your anxiety to God and go to sleep. I mean, he's going to stay up all night anyway. You might as well go to sleep. You remember Jesus said to look at the birds. Remember that? What if, what if he told the birds to look at us? One creative poet put it like this, said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be because they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Do you? God, thank you for this opportunity this morning on this snowy morning to bring so many in, and I thank you for all that are here to hear the message of your word. And we, saw, we sung about your word today, Lord, your promises that will never fail, never be shaken. And you have told us, you have promised us that if we would stop being anxious and begin a life of prayer with continued crying out heartfelt prayers, making our requests known to you, that your peace the peace that resides in you will be the very guard, the garrison that protects our hearts and our minds in your son Jesus. In this room, watching online, listening, there are many, Lord, who struggle with anxiety and my heart goes out to them. 
perhaps it's because they've overpacked in life. I don't know. Perhaps because they have some sin that has, they've continued to be unconfessed. Perhaps they just don't pray. They don't spend time drawing near to you. And some, Lord, have no faith. They don't have the peace of you because they don't have a relationship with you that comes by faith. If that's you, dear friend, acknowledge your sin and invite the one who loved you, the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, into your heart, into your life for salvation and, yes, rest from your restlessness. And we will glorify you, Lord, in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.